You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 56, The Journey of Discipleship. Well, for those of us who grew up in the church, uh, when we approach ministry and investing in teenagers, it's hard for us to not think about when we were teenagers being invested in. And we might mirror um, what our mentors and leaders did for us. We might find a new style, um, a new way of connecting with those students. Uh, But as we bring up in the episode, uh, there are more and more people working with the next generation who did not grow up in the church and have that model of discipleship. And we are so glad that you are working with students, um, but you might not have some of those same experiences to draw back on. And so what does it look like for us to uh, constantly grow and progress and sharpen our ability to disciple students and walk with them in life. Uh, Well, we're going to talk about that today uh, with our guest, Cameron Sparks. Cameron is my buddy uh, over at Dallas Bible Church, and uh, he has been involved with our uh, youth ministry co-op group that was back in episode eight uh, for several years now. And uh, Cameron and I have a great discussion about discipleship, reflecting back on when he was a student and had a mentor and what that looks like for him now and how we can really hone our ability to disciple well. So let's hop into this conversation with Cameron. Cameron, thank you so much for joining me in the podcast, bro. Glad you could hop on with me today. So to start off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners. Yeah, it's an honor to be on your podcast, Jeff. Absolutely. And, uh, it it's, is. Been, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun um, just growing in our friendship through the years and being in ministry together as partners and having the same job and having someone that I can, you know, just pick your brain and hear your experience and also uh, learn and grow with together as we've done various trips, events, and, and everything in between. Um, so I feel like this is a fitting topic for what we're discussing today, talking just about our youth ministry experience in general. Mine started uh, really in high school um, as a volunteer senior year and then into college um, with Park City's Presbyterian Church, where I was an intern, summer intern first, and then did a two-year internship after college, which turned into four years And then it was while I was working there, I heard about the opening at Dallas Bible Church for their youth pastor position where I currently am, which I actually heard about through my wife, who was volunteering both at Dallas Bible Church and at Park City Presbyterian Church and both youth ministries because she grew up at DVC. So she's a, a youth volunteer extraordinaire as well, which I know your wife is, wears many hats in that regard too. And so... Um, that's how I found out about the position that I'm currently in as youth pastor at DVC, where I've been for five years now. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good journey. And shout out to wives who are youth workers who are amazing. Uh, we, we both, that's right. that. yep. Uh, so for this episode, uh, 
we'll be discussing a reality that every youth worker faces if they have grown up in the church. That is thinking about how we were discipled as teenagers uh, and how that affects our own methods and models of discipleship that we use with students today. Uh, I suppose it's also for those workers who didn't grow up in the church because their lack of discipleship as a teen within the context of the church also certainly influences how they lead now. Uh, So Cameron, let's start with you as a teenager. Uh, When you think about how you were discipled in youth ministry or as a teenager uh, and how that translates to your current ministry in discipling students, uh, what aspects come to mind for you? Mm, Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I feel very blessed to have been at Park City's Presbyterian Church and grown up in that youth group just because they have a lot of resources, uh, one of which was the position I was just discussing, the internship position, which existed even when I was in high school, which meant there were multiple young adult males and females on staff whose sole job was just to pursue us, pursue me, build friendships. And so early on in my you know, youth group experience, I learned the value of just personal relationship and like intentional relationship and, and just investing your personal time in the life of a student. Uh, and that was something, you know, for me, it was Robbie Higginbottom, uh, who is a real person that really is his last name, you know, um, and uh, he's actually still on staff at PCPC now. Um, and he was, continues to be a mentor of mine. He was in that intern position when I was in high school. And one thing that really I valued and didn't even fully understand it at the time was just how he pursued that relationship intentionally through, you know, coming to basketball games of mine, taking me to lunch, picking me up and taking me to his apartment with some other buddies and playing video games, you know, beating us at everything, which is a youth pastor's job to be better at everything than your students and teach humility in that way. (laughs) You started training those video game skills early in me and basketball skills too, which I still use to this day. Uh, And so, yeah, I think that was, uh, I still remember even one, I don't know why it's stuck in my brain. One game in particular, he came to out in Greenville, Texas, we were playing some private school. Uh, I, I went to a really small school. And so he definitely was not there for the caliber of basketball that he was witnessing. He was very much just there to, uh, you know, support me. And after the game, he had advice for me. He had like some positive encouragement, things he'd seen on the court. And it just always stuck with me. And of course, that translated really well into conversations about things that really matter and accountability, uh, feeling like I could trust him with my struggles. Also, just valuing his opinion on all things, seeing him as somebody that I looked up to and admired. And then also, he was just a fun guy to be around. And it was like this eye-opening realization that Christians can be fun and can be cool and can be, you know, hip, so to speak. Like, I, I frankly didn't have an example of that outside of, you know, your parents, which when you're young, they're kind of lame. You know, that's a foolish thing many of us think. It's not until you get older that you really start to appreciate their perspective. And so just for so many reasons, I really valued that um, personal intentional relationship that I got in my youth group experience. And that's translated to, you know, something we all are familiar with contact work. That's what it gets called a lot in our field. And I just think that's such a valuable 
aspect of youth ministry, you know, outside of the large group, even small group meetings where you're going to games and you're investing in the students' interests. You're going to see them perform in band or you're going to the play or whatever it might be that they're interested in showing them that you care and investing in that relationship for me was huge. And so I, I try to do that now for my students because uh, just because of how, you know, valuable it was to me at the time. And, and it wasn't even like something I was really acknowledging or noticing, so to speak. It just kind of translated into the fact that Robbie had a whole lot of relational capacity with me through that, you know, a lot of relational bandwidth where he could then speak the truth and speak the gospel and in ways that I was listening to for the first time, you know, things that had been said many times by many people, um, kind of carried more weight when he said them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a really good, it might seem like silly and random and I'm the first one to admit, like, I remember little things that like no one else would, would remember, but that's really cool that examples like that with that game stand out. And on my last episode, we just talked about, uh, you know, the difference between do goals and accomplishing things and be goals, like being with people and how they are, their character, their development, and how important that, as you just said, that contact work is. Um, because, you know, uh, you and I uh, just did a winter retreat uh, in March because a winter storm <laughs> and talked about how, you know, for the most part, the students aren't going to remember uh, the content of the message. So some they will, um, or the games or whatever else. They remember the people who cared for them, who were there for them, who invested in them. And Robbie, for you, is a great example of that. You can say, here's exactly what he did. And if I don't remember the game we played at this week on this day, I remember that we did these things because he cared about us. Um, mm. And that's a really great example um of that you know i think all of us listening can track with your thought process regarding discipleship you know just the that relationship aspect um is huge and of course the content is as well and um you know mm. not nowadays um we're seeing something that i think is really cool but also just different that we haven't had and it's a lot more than we've had in the past youth volunteers who um, or even youth pastors um, who don't have seminary training or who weren't raised in the church. And so they have a very mm. different uh, perspective on that. Um, so let's shift our conversation to those who didn't have great models of discipleship growing up, or perhaps their personality and biological wiring feels like they can't quite take the approaches that their own mentors did basically people who don't have the experience or the natural inclinations for discipling students. Uh, so Cameron, mm. what, what would we uh, tell youth workers who themselves are in this boat or perhaps uh, they have workers that they coordinate who are in this boat? What are some good initial approaches that they can use for discipling students since they don't have those personal experiences? Yeah, I think that's a, a thoughtful question, important question. Um, not that we have all the answers by any means, but right. um, just given given the, the time that, that we've gotten to be in ministry, I've learned a lot and still also pulling from even my own experience, um, even with Robbie, you know, I think there, there's, uh, there's big picture things and small picture things like 
um, you know, a, a big picture that jumps to mind is like having a five-year plan, having a five-year plan, both in your ministry, the things you want to see accomplished and personally, like where you want to be in five years. Mm-hmm. It's a question that gets asked a lot in interviews anyways. If you're someone interviewing for a position in youth ministry, that's likely a question you're going to get asked. And even if not, it's important, I think, to have that um, picture, that that forward-thinking vision where you're saying, okay, I'd love to, you know, so, some things that that was for me was like, when I came in, there was one single position that existed in the entire youth ministry. And so it's like, you know, right away, I knew in five years, I would like to have another part-time, at least position under me, someone that could oversee middle school, splitting up middle school and high school, creating some more structure. Ideally, I wanted even like an intern. I saw the value in that, like I was talking about at PCPC. So having like a, an intern, whether they're a summer intern to your intern, that's some staff structure things I saw right out of the gate where I was like, you know, this will be helpful, um, to establish and to have different faces. And that's not always a possibility you know, that's a, depends on the budget of your church and many other things, but even just thinking that way and wanting to see some structure in place for when you leave, you know, having an exit plan is something that I think is really important in youth ministry today, because so often you see these youth ministries that are just like one personality churches too. Like it's like a senior pastor is the church. Yep. Yep. And so having structure in place and an exit plan where if you know, you're not going to be in youth ministry forever, which if you are, if that's your goal, like, you know, nothing wrong with that necessarily. Uh, But, you know, assuming you, you've kind of got future aspirations in mind as well as doing that job, right now, well, then, you know, I think it, uh, behooves you. If we're going to use some, some large vocab here to, uh, think about structure, think about staffing, think about having an exit plan so that when you leave the ministry doesn't completely reset for the next guy and there's mm-hmm. something or girl and there's something right. in place there. Um, you know, so just that, that five-year thing and, and for career as well is one thing I touch on, you know, some, some like personal, or not, I shouldn't say personal, but like smaller scale things that, that jump to mind advice that I'd tell someone just starting out at a church, um, would be to surround yourself with a few mentors in the church, like find people like an elder, pick an elder, pick a parent, you know, that's heavily involved. Uh, one that that's been there, um, that, you know, maybe, just a few men that you admire or women that you admire, look up to and want to emulate in terms of their personality, in terms of the impact they're having on the church. I think that's really helpful. It helps you plug in better and, and just helps you get established in the, in the church as well. And so that's why I'd recommend an elder, you know, find an elder, make, hopefully there's an elder overseeing youth ministry of some kind um, that you can start to get lunch with and just talk life with, you know, pour, get poured into by. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other a few other things that I'd mentioned that come out of my direct experience would be, um, your teaching and how you teach. Um, I think what I've benefited from a lot at PCPC is they were interested in teaching us how to read scripture on our own time rather than simply trying to cram in knowledge in 20 minutes and hope we retained it. They modeled for us what it looks like to read scripture. And the way they did that is something that I still do today in our own curriculum planning they stayed in a book of scripture for most of the semester. 
And what that did for us without even really realizing it, you know, because we were always picking up where we left off in terms of the context of the book. Like say you, you, you do Romans or you do John or you do Matthew, you do first Corinthians, whatever it might be, you're in that book for more than a lesson so that students can also appreciate, Hey, this is the way that scripture is meant to be read. We're meant to know the author. We're meant to know the audience. We're meant to know what came before and what what's coming after. And then, you know, it's not wrong, I think, to teach topically. Obviously, this is this is something that all youth pastors have to decide, think through. There's there's strong why there's you know strong arguments and wise people on both sides of the coin that would say you know teach topically or teach exegetically. But um, I think yeah, I think it's valuable to present topics. Uh, I think it's valuable to think topically and, and say topics, you know, and and find ways to make what scripture brings to us relevant to your students. But I think teaching curriculum plan wise exegetically and presenting those things topically is the best of both worlds where you do model for your students. So your student's not someone that, you know, has a problem and they flip open the Bible and they read a random proverb or, you know, they flip open the next day and they read a random, you know, verse out of Ruth and then they flip it open and they read something out of Revelation. And it's like, you know, that that's one way God can absolutely speak to you, you know, but you're going to get so much more of the meaning. And also you're going to, I think, teach the, you know, historical redemptive narrative of scripture, the bigger context much more accurately and give your students the tools they need to read on their own time. If you stay in one book, you know, so I think that's important to say, that's something that I would encourage, you know, and a lot of, a lot of times now there's like orange, there's um, all these different curriculums you can use. So I don't think, I don't think everyone's needs to be writing their own curriculum, but nonetheless, thinking about teaching your students how to do things on their own time and how to, how to build their passion and find their identity in Christ, rather than simply trying to kind of spoon feed them the advice you have, the things that you've learned, or even the the Bible stories that, you know, you can in, in 20 minutes is a, is a really important way to shift your thinking. So it's not, what can I tell my students that I know? It's how can I get my students interested in knowing this stuff on their own? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that's in a, in a practical way, I think that's discipleship in a nutshell. It's teaching students how to think, not just what to think. Because if this is an ongoing process where we hope that they fulfill the Great Commission and go and make disciples as well, we need to teach them on their own time how to be in scripture. And I love that you carry over what you've learned as a student and at your, at your former church into what you're doing now, because you see the value and you know now the personal value that you can pass on to your other leaders, your other students of mm. being in the word. And I love that mixture of exegetically and, and topically because students, you know, uh, tend to not think exegetically when they see news stories or whatever else. Um, and for many of us, we have a topical lens, but then like when we think about it as believers and really approach scripture, you know, the, the more ingrained that exegetical perspective becomes, but you're right. Like we need to be able to speak their language to give them context of scripture, but also the context of their culture to, so because, you know, if you look at what the original readers of first Corinthians, whatever else we're, we're going through in the audience. And you look at the topics that our students are going through in our culture, which is so much different. There are some s- similarities for sure, 
but many of the details and everything else very different um, than it's a, a lot of those letters and books uh, in scripture. And so we have to be able to help them think through, hey, you know, how do I read the Bible to be able to uh, see what it's saying with what God is saying and also how it applies to my life, but also just how to react and live when I'm faced with this question or this issue. And I'm like, uh, you know, they have to be able to have mm-hmm. both of those, right? That's right. It's it's not easy to do that, you know, to teach exegetically, to think of it like chapter by chapter, but then still present it topically. But I think that's our yeah. job. That's part of what it, we have to try to do is to make it attractive to students. You know, there are easy examples, like a, a great example is like first Corinthians six, you know, I think it's 22 through 30, where we're talking about Paul's talking about sexual immorality, you know, and you could easily relate that to dating, relate that to, um, you know, pornography, lust relationships students are in. And so if you tell a student, Hey, we're talking about first Corinthians six versus 22 through 30 tonight. They're like, uh, okay. You know, but if you're like, Hey, we're talking about dating and how to date well as a Christian and what it looks like, what are the dangers of lust tonight? That's something that they're like, Oh, that sounds relevant. That sounds, you know, like something I want to listen to. And so always doing that is tricky, but I think what the reason I am passionate about teaching exegetically, meaning just walking through a book of scripture as best you can, starting in chapter one, moving to chapter two, moving to chapter three is because what we're doing when we do that is we're giving God control of our curriculum. We're saying, God, what you've given us in your scripture is authoritative and it's comprehensive. It's complete. It's what we need to know you, to walk with you, to do life well. And so I'm going to do my best job to make it attractive to students, but I'm not the brains of the operation where I'm going to say, Hey, my students need this and they need that and they need this. And so I'm going to go cherry pick the different things that match what Cameron's brain is coming up with. I want to say, God, you through your Holy spirit wrote the book of Romans. And so walking through Romans, the way you wrote it and intended it to be read is going to be more beneficial than Cameron coming up with the eight most you know, sexy topics for youth to be discussing at the time. I do think there's room for that too. So don't hear me say that's wrong to do by any means. Obviously, like we said earlier, it's a, it's a, it's a fun conversation to have. It's a fun and important debate. You know, the the conversation between exegetical and topical. I think there's seasons. In fact, during the summers, we like to do that. We like to go strictly topical for the reason you're saying, which is like a lot of scripture. Sometimes it doesn't really hit things like social media. You know, how do you, like be wise about Snapchat, you know, that's, there's no book of the Bible, no verse of scripture that's necessarily going to talk about Snapchat directly. And so you might have to do a little bit of navigating to, but you, but it's there. It's certainly there. So I do think that there's times to do that, but overall, especially coming in new as a, as a new youth pastor or youth intern, um, having your understanding of what you need to teach being what God's taught and doing it the way he did it and trying to make that attractive to students. Like we said, like we said, when we started, you're modeling for them how to read scripture on their own time. So when they're alone in college, they're not gonna, you know, Google a word versus about this thing, right? Which again, isn't the worst thing to do, but hopefully what they're going to do is, is turn to a book like Matthew or John and read through it and be moved more by, who God is rather than what the answer to their immediate problem is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that, you know, highlighting that 
it feels, you know, you can feel the weight of what you're saying as far as, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But also, how do we get, how do I get myself to feel, to, to think that way? How do we get students to really be able to discern how to mm. go back and forth there? And, you know, I think discernment is one of the things that is sorely lacking in our current culture and within the church too. And I think that mm. is a major contributing factor to the polarization that we have. It's like, use wisdom, use discernment, read things. Don't just go off a headline. Don't, don't just go off your emotions and this guy agrees with me. So this must be true. Like we have to have mm. dialogue. We have to have interaction. That's part of community. That's part of the gospel. We have to be able to talk about things. Uh, and if it's just give me the easy way out or give me something that's convenient, even if what you're talking about is true, if people th- know or think that you don't care about them they don't care of what you think is is true or not because they want to actually be heard be seen and discipleship you know you know one one of the reasons why we're talking about it is because it's a broad concept and an umbrella but because it's so broad i think we can safely say that probably the reason um why so many students leave the faith and in some in some regard after high school based on whatever study you read has to do with discipleship you know we have to have that five-year plan like you mentioned earlier you know when a student leaves our ministry what do we consider to be a healthy disciple you know what do we consider important for them to know how to act not just knowledge but are they loving? Do they care for people well? Are they ministers of reconciliation? First Corinthians five, right? Like, how do we engage? Amen. Yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. and we have to have both of those, and that's tension, and that's uncomfortable, but that's what we're called to, right? Mm. Yeah, such a good point too, in terms of like the headline grabbing way our culture thinks, and it's like, you know, we want to just hear the one liner that you have so we can choose if you're our enemy or if you're mm-hmm. our friend. Yep. That's and the, the, the way that scripture is meant to be read goes against that. Like we're talking about that. You have to know the context. You have to know the nuanced gray areas that um, come before, during and after like sort of the hot key verse, you know, that we might want to cherry pick and use. Right. And reality, in reality, we got to create a dialogue, we got to create a discussion. And, you know, that, that goes along with one other thing I was going to mention about, um, things that, um, I think it's helpful to know as a, as a, like just stepping into ministry is, how important it is to create space for students to talk like in small group context, um, first of all, small groups are hugely valuable. That was something that really helped me with Robbie and three other guys. We were in a small group. And one thing I always valued that Robbie did in that small group, Robbie is an incredibly smart guy. Um, and he had a lot of the answers and he wouldn't just give them. And so when we had questions and when we had, uh, you know, verses we're talking about, he would say, like, what do you think? You know, if I ask a hard question of him, he's like, well, what would your answer be? And when he asks a hard question, like we might do in youth ministry, letting students sit with those questions, being, you know, the the uncomfortable silence that we talk about a lot in youth ministry, like being, being willing to be, to, to wait out a student longer than they're willing to wait, you know, and and force them to talk, force them to open up, force them to share. Cause you're so right. At the end of the day, people do want to be heard. And, and part of what real discipleship looks like, and, and frankly, what I think 
biblical wisdom lived out looks like is being willing to listen mm. to not speak first yeah. to hear a different opinion to hear someone that has something different than what you think and so modeling that with your students is going to give your students opportunities for them to work out what they think and for them to think about these things and for them to just talk and for them to engage with the material with scripture with god in front of you and so that was something I, that robbie modeled well for me and that i try to do with my students is just like put the impetus on them to work things out and don't feel the need. This is a, this is a desire of mine. This is a hard thing. Don't feel the need to be the knowledgeable one in the room. Yeah. Yep. You know, don't feel Mm -hmm. the need to be the guy that always has the right answer. In fact, I think, you know, Robbie modeled this well, um, in, uh, one story specifically I shared recently actually preaching where, uh, a student, one of my friends corrected him about something and was actually wrong. We found out later, this is before, you know, the days of Google right on your phone really easily. And Robbie was just like, Oh, wow. Thanks for letting me know that. And didn't like push back or argue. And I was like early on in Bible study with him. And I just remember being like, I like this guy. That was like the thought I had when he, when his interaction to being corrected by a 13 year old who was wrong. (laughs) His reaction to it was like, oh, like, okay, like, thank you for letting me know that. It wasn't like, "Mm, I don't think so, blah, blah, blah. And so I think that, and for whatever reason, all all I can say about that is it just, it attracted me to him. I was like, this guy's cool. I like this guy. You know, I can listen to this guy. And I think that's true for all of us. When we, when we are able to listen, we we let them talk, let them work out, try not to be the person with all the knowledge in the room then you're going to help them grow their knowledge much more than they're going to remember your perfect answer to some hard theological question. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I absolutely does. And I think you're right. You know, the, the approach of like for a small group leader, for sure, that is the best approach. And also just in general life, interacting with people, peers, whoever, Right. you know, I've, exactly. yep. I've always been told something that sticks with me as far as, to, to build on what you said about biblical wisdom, it's always assumed that you are not the smartest person in the room, that you have right. something to learn from someone else, no matter what, assume it. Don't look at, don't make exterior judgments, whatever else, just do that. And you will learn, you will appreciate in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise if you're just barreling through there with your pride and like, well, I'm going to show them what's right. Cause I'm right. Yeah. Uh, Amen. Absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely, bro. Uh, well, you've you've mentioned um, a few of those specific things about small group and content and everything else. Uh, but I did want to ask, you know, is uh, is there anything else based on your own experience in current ministry? Are there any other things about discipleship or youth ministry overall you wish you would have known starting out? You know, it's funny that we've gone the direction we've gone because what I really wanted to to say to that question is um, that I wish that I'd realized early on that relational skills are ab- every bit as important as biblical knowledge. Mm. And that's backed up by scripture in that the characteristics of the fruit of the spirit and the characteristics that we see of wisdom from above. Yep are not things like how many verses you have memorized and how many, you know, theological concepts you can explain accurately. Mm -hmm. It's things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the wisdom characteristics that James lists in three, you know, first pure peaceable, 
Mm. Gentleness is an, again, you know, open to reason can also be translated, be able to be persuaded. Mm. It's one of my favorites because it's the exact opposite of what I think Christians um, typically think of as what's wise. You're, you're the person that's right, convincing everyone else why they're wrong. Yeah. And literally from James, according to the Holy Spirit, what wisdom looks like, which really, you know, not to dive in too deep theologically here, I think James is describing the person of Jesus. He's describing a person and he's describing Jesus, who is the person he saw lived out wisdom better than anyone else ever. Mm-hmm. And, and so Jesus was this way, open to reason, you know, it was a crazy thing to think about Jesus, yeah. you know? And like, I, I love the example of him as like a 12 year old where he's, he's in the temple teaching and his parents are freaking out because they can't find him. And you got a human father, sinful father, a human mother, a sinful mother, you know, and they come and they basically scold Jesus. They're like, where were you? What are you doing? And it's like, would it be good for Jesus to continue to stay in the temple and teach? Like, probably. That's probably a great place for him to be. And instead, he's like, yes, mom and dad, sorry, I'll come with you now. You know, already just demonstrating some of that ability to hear others, listen to others, hear a different perspective. I think that's a huge part of what it means to be biblically wise, to know you don't know everything. Obviously, Jesus did know everything, so that's a little different in his context. But I think for us, biblically, wisdom looks like um, valuing relational skills, valuing what other people think, trying to keep peace, mm-hmm. trying to be peacemakers. I, I have a strong um, penchant for the truth and uh, a pretty dominating personality in some ways. And I, early on, I made the mistake of thinking, you know, fighting for biblical truths that are important to me, which I think is an important thing to do. Um, I crossed lines sometimes relationally that did less good than just simply listening to someone with a different perspective. And a lot of times when you listen, like, first of all, sometimes people will work out for themselves where they might not be totally right. They'll also ask eventually what you think Mm -hmm. if they care. And if yeah. they don't care, you don't need to be telling them necessarily. Uh, and, and if you really believe they're wrong, it's something like really important to you to discuss. You're going to be able to reach that person far better if you first heard exactly why it's important to them what they think mm-hmm. and spent the time, the relational investment, the relational capacity, all the things we're talking about kind of fit together. You know, mm-hmm. with a student, if you've gone to the game, if you've spent time with them, if you've talked with them about their lives, you know, they're going to care a lot more about you telling them that their relationship that they're in is not wise or that they're what they're doing, you know, in their, you know, room alone is not smart and not good for them. You know, they're going to receive that much better if they know you really care about them. And same is true for adults, same truth for your boss, people under you being able to character or to act out those characteristics of what the fruit of the spirit and what wisdom from above look like. Um, I wish I'd cared about that earlier in my youth career. Um, and it's something I pray for every day, wisdom from God and, and what it looks like to me has changed a lot where I, I want to be somebody, a guy that I think of, this is funny because, um, my mom told me this, I would like, she's like, she, he's the exact opposite person I would ever imagine you seeing as a hero, but it's Fred Rogers, you mm. know, Mr. Rogers from, yeah. um, you know, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And if you read, there's a book called I'm proud of you. And there's a whole nother book too. Like apparently he did this regularly guys who came to interview him 
and for whatever it might be for, and I'm proud of you. This guy's like a newspaper news article guy for like his own local newspaper. And he's doing a piece on Mr. Rogers and like Mr. Rogers invests so much into him personally that they have a lifelong relationship where he writes him letters and they write back and forth. And he basically becomes his like real father figure. And, and what's amazing about Fred Rogers is he was just doing this left and right. Like every person that interacted with him knew he was different, saw he was different, felt he was different because I think he exuded the fruit of the spirit. That's not to say he was perfect or his theology was perfect or anything like that, but I want to be somebody. And the ways he did that were, were through things like being gentle, like, gentleness, you know, means being sensitive to others' feelings, being able to receive and hear and understand what someone's feeling and being empathetic toward them, even if you completely disagree. And when you, when someone senses that from you, like barriers, walls just fall down. They're going to, and you're going to be able to speak into their life in ways that you cannot do without it. And that's why it's a fruit of the spirit. I think that's why it's part of what wisdom looks like when we live it out. And the only way you can be gentle, all of these things, the only way you can do it is if you know, you don't know everything is if you know, your perspective is limited, mm-hmm. you know, fools don't ask questions. Fools are the people who know everything. Someone who's wise recognizes their own foolishness, so to speak. They recognize they don't know everything. That's kind of yep. the, the upside down way the cross works, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, you have to see yourself as somebody that doesn't have all the answers and, and be willing to ask questions and willing to to listen first, all those things we've, we've talked to about, you know, in this conversation, hold your convictions loosely, appreciate that your perspective is limited, your way of doing things, even in youth ministry might be the best way. It's just one way though. And someone else is coming from another perspective, another experience and may, may have valid things and, and things that are difficult for you to receive. That doesn't make them wrong. Doesn't make you completely right. You know? So um, those are some things that, that jump to mind. Yeah. One last thing, I guess I'll say, I, I don't want to go, I don't know how much time we have left here. All the time. I'll, you I'll want, say bro. this. I'll say this quickly, like not being afraid to ask much of others. That's something that I wish I had learned earlier. Um, I think that because of where I want, if I could say, you know, every church is different and, and every church, big church, small church, there's drawbacks, there's good things that comes from any church and any experience you have. And, one thing that PCPC, like one drawback of having such a big church is we didn't have a lot of volunteers, like everyone we were able to pay to do things. <laughs> and so I, it was hard for me to ask people to volunteer. It was hard for me to ask, especially like big things of people. I felt like I was taking advantage of them. And I wish that I had learned earlier on that being asked to do a big task is an opportunity for someone to thrive, to grow, to uh, share their giftings with the church, right? So where I was thinking asking a lot of someone was like kind of taking advantage, uh, I've totally shift that 180 degrees to appreciate like asking a lot of someone is giving them a lot of opportunity. And in fact, ironically, it's often the people you ask the most of who become the most committed volunteers and, and who become the most ready to do whatever it is you need versus the people you ask little of, they're kind of like, this is an easy thing to do. And they don't often do it that well. They don't care about it as much, you know? So a lot of times I think asking a lot of someone results in more dedication from the person than you might get just asking a little of them. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have opportunities to give to, 
um, men and women in the church um, and taking advantage of those by really trusting people with a lot, I think is important. Something that I, I got totally wrong when I first started and was trying to protect people really, but in fact, it was kind of inhibiting opportunities for them um, and making it harder for them to plug in, to do, to, to be able to contribute. Yeah, absolutely, man. A lot of gold nuggets in there. And I'm, I'm right with you with a lot of those things that I wish I would have known uh, in any of my internships or positions in the past of um, where I just, you know, kind of had the attitude that we've talked about where, well, I know what's right. Now I just had to figure out how to get them to listen to me. And so I can tell them what's right and all these different things. And um, yeah, you know, learning that wisdom is uh, not attainable without humility and being very acutely aware of your own limitations uh, is something that once you realize it, um, you're in this, you're in a much better place in so many aspects of your life uh, to have that, especially yes. with um, ministry. Uh, well, bro, this has been fun and uh, enlightening. Uh, is there... Um, can do do you want to tell us before we wrap up uh, where people can keep up with you online uh, to see your ministry or anything else where they can keep up with you on the internet? Yeah, sadly, you know, I probably need to improve my online. Uh, you know, what's the term? My online presence yeah. a little better. But uh, I am on Instagram, j.cameron.sparks. It's just a personal account. Um, we have a youth account. The Bible Kids. It's actually partly run by our youth, D-A-B-I-B-L-E-C-I-D-S, um, which is a fun way to kind of track our youth ministry. Uh, I don't, I don't uh, have a lot online. I do have, um, you know, one thing that might be neat if, if someone wanted to check out more of what I've done is we log all our sermons. You can go to dallasbible.org slash sermons and, you know, search by names, um, a lot of awesome messages on there. Um, but yeah, I'm always easily reachable by email, that kind of thing too. Um, if, if anyone ever has follow-up wants to talk about any of these specific things we've talked about, I'm happy to go further into that, but maybe, maybe that's something you can help me with building up my online presence. That's something you're pretty good at. Oh, hey. Well, (laughs) yeah, I need a lot of help with that myself, but uh, anything uh, to help you out, bro. Uh, Well, dude, Cameron, thank you good for hopping on. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. I'll be praying for you and your ongoing ministry at Dallas Bible and our partnership, our friendship. Glad to have you, bro. And uh, yeah, you're doing great things. And thanks for being a solid example to those students. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Cameron for joining me. The link to his church's website is in the show notes. And once again, I referenced 1 Corinthians 5 when it should have been 2 Corinthians 5. So one of these days, I'll get that right. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. And be sure to follow us on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find those social media handles and more at our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There you will also find some guest bios, a comprehensive list of all of our episodes and show notes, some ministry partners to help you in your own ministry, an online store to support the podcast, published articles by me, and more. So be sure to visit our website for those things. 
Also, we really love when people give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the biggest podcast streamer, and it really helps boost our visibility when people give us a good review. So if you go there and give us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it before you hit submit and send it to me. And as a thank you, I will send you a card with some merchandise that you can't buy on our online store. So be sure to do that. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, thanks again for listening. Adios. Adios.